listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy, Australia's number one weekly trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. G'day and welcome to this very special bonus episode of On the Road. It comes to you by courtesy of NTI, who once again have loaned us their transport research manager and resident tracking guru, Adam Gibson, to share with us the incredibly important findings drawn from NTI's National Truck Research Centre, or NATASI as we've come to know it. with Adam Gibson from NTI and I've only just managed after a couple of years to work out what his job title was. It was risk assessment engineer and now they've changed your job title mate, I've got to learn it all over again. Yep, they've changed my job title now. I am the transport research manager, right. which is good because I, I no longer need to have an A5 business card. It'll, <laughs> it'll fit on a standard card for the first time. Wow. Always moving forward at NTI. I'm impressed. Hey, uh, you realise that we've been a partnership for over two years now? My, how time flies. Actually, I, I think post-COVID time doesn't actually even exist anymore. Doesn't it? No, last week and last month are both the same at the moment. Yeah, it's unreal, isn't it? The latest NTI National Truck Accident Research Centre, or NATASI, report as it's become known. You're going to sort of clarify what the numbers mean. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I look forward to having a chat. Mate, when was the report released? Uh, released about three weeks ago now. Delayed a bit this year. I'm the proud father of our second little baby girl, which did rather interrupt our release time frame this year. So we'll expect her to return back to an earlier, maybe a April, May, some of that sort of time frame next year. But yeah, reports on serious truck crashes, over $50,000 of incident value that occurred in calendar year of 2021, so last year. Right. So we've had a drop in the numbers, mate, by the look of things. Well, it's a bit of a mix. Long-term trend is positive. Right. The number of crash types of real concern that if you look over you know, 10 or 15 years are down significantly. Mm. So go back 15 years and over a quarter of our serious truck crashes in NTI's portfolio were the result of fatigue and fatigue crashes are of real concern because they have a significantly higher risk of loss of life for the driver. However, we did see a more short-term a dip in 2020s claims data associated with fewer cars on the road during COVID. So we've still a lower frequency of truck crashes than those COVID years, Mm. but higher than 2020's data. I would expect come 2023's report released on this year's data that we'd be back to at or somewhere around pre-COVID levels. Right. So you don't really think there's too much changing at all? Ah. In the short term, the COVID number is actually significant in that it wasn't just truck and car crashes that went down with a reduction in car volumes. Mm. It was a reduction in all truck crash types. And that says to me that having fewer cars on the road means our truck drivers are less stressed. They're less likely to have a crash of any kind, whether or not that involves a car. And it, it means that we really need to start thinking about road freight. Well, you can't send that via email. Mm. It needs to go on a truck. Yep. But... If we can try to keep those discretionary car kilometres, you know, travel for work for people who could just as easily work from home, Mm. that means road freight is safer and it's good for the environment as well, fewer car kilometres travelled. And it's a really interesting unintended social experiment that if you talked to road safety people or road managers before COVID, they'd have told you that travel for work was essential and it was only things like a trip to the beach that was discretionary. Yeah. 
And now maybe 20 or 25% of travel for work is discretionary as well. Obviously, it doesn't apply to the chippy or the bricklayer. Mm. But if your job's to drive a desk, does it matter whether that desk is at home or in an office? Well, I suppose that there's a whole case to be argued for working from home. But unfortunately, us in the transport industry, mate, we really don't get that opportunity. Exactly that. And <laughs> it's about respecting the transport industry as being mandatory. There's, we don't have a choice so the, you, know, you can't fill the shelves on the shops via email. No, that's right. To put some numbers on it, mm. before COVID, we were sitting at about 3.5 losses over $50,000 in $2,003 terms. So 2021 would be about $75,500. But about three and a half serious losses per thousand trucks. As a result of COVID in 2020, that dropped to just under three. And we're sitting at about 3.1, 3.2 in 2021. So that's a 15% decrease in serious truck crashes as a result of those lighter volumes of cars on the road. There was obviously there was some interruption and not just COVID as well. You know, we saw issues with trade with China that saw a few industries heavily impacted. You're carrying from meatworks that had their exports banned, then well, you're not carrying for them anymore. Yeah. But overall freight volumes were pretty consistent during COVID. But yeah, 15% fewer serious truck crashes with that reduction in light vehicle traffic volume. The actual freight task is still growing though, isn't it, exponentially? Oh, not exponentially. It grows year on year. So sitting at around 225 billion tonne kilometres of road freight. Probably the significant thing is that it actually grows a bit faster generally than population growth. Right. So it's not just that we have more people. It's that each person in Australia triggers more road freight than they did a decade ago. Right. Round numbers, 15 or 20% higher in terms of the trend in freight task growth compared to population growth. Part of that is also high volume exports, that if you're the component of our mining exports that move via road, obviously the goal there is to move the highest amount of product possible. Yep. The road freight task continues to grow year, and that's why it's important when making long-term comparisons is to correct back to how much freight got moved. Because saying that there was fewer truck crashes in 1895 than there was in 1995, <laughs> yeah, doesn't really tell you all that much. It's not really an apples and apples comparison, is it? No, no. So what are you seeing on the board as far as injury and fatality accidents going? How are we doing there? Reasonably consistent. So I track truck occupant deaths in accidental road crashes. Uh, I spoke a lot about a spike in 2019 in truck occupant deaths. Mm. I will never say normal in this space, and if I do, I'll regret it. In a typical year, we have around 34 truck occupants lose their lives in accidental in-motion road crashes. And don't hold me on that. I haven't got it right in front of me here, but it was about that sort of range, 36, that sort of number in 2021. So it wasn't the unusual spike that we saw in 2019. That number jumped to 53. I'm careful of my language there, and I apologise to your listeners for how awkward accidental in-motion crashes sounds, because there is also another perhaps dozen or more deaths that happen around trucks. So there's a loading and unloading, and we did see a, a couple of uh, tragic events in 2021 of people being struck on the roadside whilst repairing broken down trucks or being crushed by those trucks in the process of repair. Mm. The dangers of being around trucks during loading and unloading are quite well known, although I don't think adequately responded to yet. Well, it's important that we define the numbers, though. Hmm. In motion, death of a driver is one thing and has its own cause, and the others, of course, have different causes, not necessarily the truck. And that's a really good point. The purpose of this research is to give some shape to the events we're trying to prevent. Hmm. 
because the more we understand about them, the more we can look at what we need to change in the world to drive them. And that's probably something that's worth digging a bit deeper into. Yeah. If I look at my causes for serious incidents in Natasi in 2021's data, yep. just under 64% of them get bundled up into what I'm going to call human factors crashes. And that's where the most immediate proximate cause was something that related to a choice made or not made by the driver. Yep. However, this is not about blame. Gee, there's a surprise. You know, inside of that <laughs> is inappropriate speed crashes fatigue crashes and the umbrella of driver error crashes. Mm. Telling a driver not to fall asleep while driving a truck doesn't stop drivers from falling asleep while driving trucks. Yeah. So it's not about saying, ah, oh, that driver was at fault, we need to punish them for being asleep. It's about trying to unpack what led to that driver being in the truck behind the wheel, unable to stay awake. Is it about provision of better rest areas? Is it about underlying health conditions? Is it about supply chain pressures? Because I see it actually at both ends of the spectrum for employer-driver relations. Yeah. Obviously, if you're afraid for your job, you may choose to keep driving. But I also actually see it with some employers where the drivers actually really like their bosses and they don't want to leave the boss in a bind and get a squeeze and they keep driving out of a probably misplaced, therefore, sense of loyalty. Mm. But yeah, empowering drivers to have access to sufficient quantities and qualities of sleep and being empowered to take it because it's no good having a massive bunk we saw on that big blue star at the Brisbane Truck Show last year if you don't feel that you're allowed to pull up and actually have a sleep in it. That's not something I've ever had an issue with, mate. <laughs> I've never seen you really take no for an answer, Mike, so I think you're probably right there. But that's, that's important. We should want drivers that feel empowered to dig their heels in when it's right to do so. We had a discussion ages ago about how to say no to the boss, and I think it was a very important discussion that we had to have. And it's something I suppose we need to impart on newcomers to the industry that it is okay to say no. And as you say, fatigue, accidents are the ones that get us because we poke it into the scenery without any sort of response at all. It's over. Exactly that. Mm. What sets apart a fatigue crash from, say, an inadequate following distance crash in terms of the risk to the driver is just that. Yep that traffic suddenly stopped, you realise this is going to end poorly, you've got that split second to make a choice between the left shoulder, the centre median, the traffic in the left lane, the traffic in the right lane, what are you going to do? And drivers are, are making that choice as best as they can in those circumstances. Yeah. If you're asleep, what you hit is what you hit. And so whether you get lucky and you end up standing up in a paddock yeah. or whether you get unlucky and you go straight into that bridge abutment, well, that's just down to chance. And uh, that's not the best way to have it, is it? No, no. So unpacking those, again, I'll call them human factors causes. And again, I can't stress enough how hard I'm working to make sure that everyone that I talk to in this space recognizes that it's not about blaming our drivers. Yeah. There's a few that I think we can do better as an industry. One that I'm really passionate about are our single vehicle rollover crashes, which generally get categorized into inappropriate speed crashes. Mm. And this is where the truck falls over causing the crash as opposed to running off the road and then falling over because you've run off the road. Why I pick on this set of incidents is twofold. One is because all the crashes tend to look pretty damn similar. We've all seen a news chopper flying over the freeway off-ramp where there's a B-double laying on its side. Yeah. Probably has the wheels that are on the bottom are probably still on the road. They might be sitting on the fog line. Indeed, yeah. But importantly, they're not sitting on the ground. (laughs) So something has obviously gone wrong. So they all tend to be very similar. The second reason I pick on it is there is an opportunity here, Mm. and that's electronic stability control. And I talk about it not because it can stop the crash right then and there by applying brakes and doing all its magic. That's great. I I love the tech from that side. 
but for the opportunity to feed that information back to the driver. Because how the hell are you meant to know where the limit is if the only way to find the limit is to pitch, you know, $600,000 worth of B-double into the scenery mm. and then wind it back two kilometres an hour? Yeah, well. So for the first time, we've got the opportunity to empower our drivers with better understandings of where the limits are. But in my view, it's not being done well by most of the industry because no one's explained to the industry that the opportunity even exists. So no one's asking. Well, this is it, isn't it? I mean, all the technology, the little computer boxes on the trailers that control the stability control and the ABS, you can download all that data and then graph it against your GPS locations of your trucks. You can see where you're going to have a problem. Yeah, we're working on a project at the moment on dairy tanker crashes supported by a heavy vehicle safety initiative grant from the regulator. Yep. And one of the things I'm trying to see if I can manage is to do just that, but then actually share the information between carriers. Hmm. Because if you've got four fleets that are running into the Gippsland collecting milk every day, can we go and find those black spots and do two things with it? First and foremost is feed it back to the drivers. They are the most important component in our risk management system. Mm. The second one is, yeah, go and have a look. Is there something we can do with the road manager to say that really awkward off camber exit to the roundabout you've just made, we don't really like it. Can we do better? Well, there is a lot of discussion that can be had about the construction of the road and the effect that they have on our vehicles. I mean, God, you've only got to look recently at what the wild weather's done to a lot of our roads with slips and slides, potholes and all that sort of thing. Are you seeing in the numbers anything where environmental conditions are having more of an impact on us lately? We saw through the start of 2020, March, then we we had a, what with hindsight was only a slightly wet summer. Yeah. And we saw some flood-related losses. One of the challenges on road condition is it's often not the immediate proximate cause, but rather a broader environmental cause. So you're driving down, I'll say the last bit of Warriga, I'm trying to remember the name of the two little towns not far out of Roma. Yeah. It's like a roller coaster. You go through these whoop-de-doops on the black soil country. Mm. It might not cause you to crash, but geez, it's going to tire you out. And if that means that two hours the other side of Roma, all of a sudden you have a fatigue crash, Unfortunately, that doesn't pop up in my data. All I know is that you were asleep. I don't know enough about what caused you to be tired to be able to directly track that in the report, but it certainly forms part of the discussion that we're having with regulators, road managers, road safety researchers, all this space. Mm. Again, it's not about saying don't be tired. It's about saying, well, what can we do to make that person less tired? I will flag, (laughs) one can be pretty confident Mm. without having written next year's report yet, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a fair bit of discussion around the flood events on the East Coast. I had expected it to just to be about the January through March flood events, although it looks like we are in the middle of having round two. Mm. Well, there's been plenty of photos on social media recently of big grain trucks up to the windscreen in water. Mm-hmm. I'd expect that there are some people that were very unhappy about that. So, One thing I saw in the start of this year that was sort of set it apart from some of the flooding, say in Brisbane, not so much Toowoomba and uh, around the Lockyer Valley, but through Brisbane in 2021, is because the flooding was so far, particularly around Lismore, Mm. fleets that would normally have gotten their gear to higher ground got caught with their pants down. Yeah. And so a lot of those fleets tend to have, you know, new, shiny, good gear because they're on the leading edge of the industry. And so we saw a lot of new trucks going underwater, which is tough for me as a truck geek. Yeah. My concerns at the moment, I've got friends in Moama, we've got the good folks from Byford Tankers down there at the moment. I was actually looking at the flood mapping last night and the farm machinery dealer across the road will probably go under the water, but fingers crossed for Byford themselves, obviously different for their people. I don't know where their houses are, so they're in our thoughts. Mm. 
And this is probably going to increase in frequency moving forwards. We have to, as an industry, think about things like where we locate our depots and distribution centres, because where do you find large expanses of flat ground you can build massive warehouses on? Regrettably, it tends to be on floodplains. (laughs) Oh, you've only got to look at the floods that happen and what happens around Rock Lee and Archerfield to transport Hub of Brisbane, and it goes underwater. The amount of damage that's been done there over the last several years has just been absolutely astronomical. And one of the challenges that then comes up Mm. is they're putting in a lot of fill through Rockley at the moment to try to add resilience to some of the more critical facilities. Mm. But every additional piece that you fill increases the flooding elsewhere. And so there was a lot of hard choices made around the Mississippi River Valley through the early 90s in the US because there was effectively a levee building war broke out between towns. We need to have those discussions in Australia. How do we say that flooding is fundamental? You can't fight it, and the more you try, the stronger you make the floods. Yep, it's uh... a discussion for next year. The only other one I'd probably like to chat to you about today, Mm. our inattention and distraction crashes. Yep. In my view, we are at the worst place we'll ever be for setting up the cab to distract our drivers. We've got so many readouts, so many displays. I mean, I'll be frank, I don't love a wall of six gauges wide by six gauges high, particularly not little, you know, without inch and five-eighths gauges that you can't really read unless you get down on your knees and squint. Maybe your eyes are better than mine. (laughs) But then adding into that, it might be three more displays and two other boxes with red flashing lights on them that go beep. It's terrible. We are setting ourselves up to fail in that regard. Yeah. And so what I say to anyone who is involved in specifying that technology is at least squeeze the vendors to do better. That when they come and say to you, oh, you've got this, I don't know, tilt sensor for tippers to stop you from falling on your side, Mm. rather than letting them stick in times three additional displays in, go back and say, no, no, can you make it work in with my, my existing tablet for my telematics or... Can you at least have one display that does all three trailers or something like that? Mm. Because we just set ourselves up to fail. Mm. We also have to own some of the other issues as well. That my sense is, is there's not much good data, but my sense is that mobile telephone use is a much smaller contributor in the truck space than it is in the car space. But we're an industry of professionals. We need to act that way. We need to treat using a handheld mobile phone the same way as we'd treat seeing someone driving down the road with a bottle of Jim Beam in their hand. Oh, come on, mate. You can take all the fun out of it now. <laughs> the reasons that people want to be remain connected to their friends and family. Mm. We had one operator where we said to them, look, that's great. We, we can see where the events are happening. It's when they're rolling back into mobile coverage after being uncontactable for three hours. Yeah. Well, there's a bloody parking bay as they go into that town. Tell them to wheel in, take a 15-minuter, chat to the missus and find out how the kids went at the school carnival, and then continue on. Yeah. Don't fight the desire for people to remain connected. Just find ways to do it sensibly. Well, that's the whole key to the whole game, isn't it, these days? Mm -hmm. Find the way to do what we've always done, but just do it smarter. Mm Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. That's probably the best way. Hey, before we get too carried away, obviously we've been off in the weeds a couple of times, I want to have a talk to you about the fire numbers because we look like we're sort of maintaining a status quo as far as they go. We're about the same as we were in 2015 as far as fires go. Mm -hmm. But we seem as though we've got some changes on the reasons for the fires. What do you think about that? Yeah, so the overall numbers that fire sits around 8% of our... We saw a bit of a spike in 2019. Mm particularly around engine bay mechanical fires, and they've now fallen away pretty significantly. Yep. 
The most likely causes of your truck burning to the ground, first one is the big fat power cable running from the batteries to the starter motor. Right. And they tend to be older. The average age is about nine years for trucks involved in those events. Yeah. And it tends to be that someone hasn't treated that cable with the respect it deserves. That someone's moved a battery pack to put a hydraulic tank in or someone's just changed the starter motor and they've they've cut a bunch of cable ties off to get the cable out of the way while they did that. Mm. And it goes back in in not quite the same spot that it was at the factory. Yep. Worst case can be truly terrible. I've seen a starter motor power cable held in place onto a steel fuel line with a stainless steel cable tie. Awesome. Which is just about arson in my mind. (laughs) The outcome there was so certain. The other area are wheel end fires. Now, I can give really clear advice on what to do about engine bay fires. Treat that starter motor power cable the same way we might treat a high-pressure fuel injection system these days. You know, yep. Dot your I's, cross your T's, triple check it before you walk away. If someone else is doing the work, make them take photographs of the damn thing. Yep. So that amongst other things, we will go and recover against them if they burn your truck to the ground. The wheel end fires is a tougher one. We've got a bit of a mix between causes. Tire-related issues are number one. So you pick up a slow leak, tire slowly deflates. It then gets hot from the load and spontaneously combusts. But it's about half in round numbers. Beyond that, you've got wheel bearings and dragging brakes. The problem is, yeah, there's now there three reasons for any one of the... If you've got a bloody 60-metre quad, God knows how many wheel ends, it's hard to track. Mm. The only good fix I have on that, or not fix, but you know, if we want to manage that risk directly... Uh, tire pressure monitoring systems, and it's not for the pressure side, but almost everyone, in fact, all the ones I know of, of any note, include temperature monitoring. Mm. And I had a few operators that put TPMS in that were worried about pressure and then came back and said, oh, wow, temperature is actually the thing. Mm. Because if you don't burn one 60-meter superquad to the ground, you just saved quite a few dollars. That's right. Yep. About $1.6 million. Mm, indeed. It's a great report. There's a lot of stuff in here. The rolled wall tipping numbers is a little bit startling. That's sort of taken a bit of a jump. Yeah. My best estimate on this, looking at the individual events, mm. is it's about soft ground. Right. That a lot of these tend to be on either agricultural deliveries, like something like lime sand onto property in the wheat belt in Western Australia. Yeah. Or they're on construction sites. So it's often about ground movement. And yeah, you go and have 10 metres of rain all of a sudden and the spike in it, I suspect, is a result of that. But that means it's still happening today. Yeah. And we're going to have that elevated risk through probably till at least March of 2023. Yep. I suppose really the other number that really sort of comes out to me that if we look at the vehicles by vehicle category that are involved in these incidents, it sort of looks like your road trains seem as though they do better. Part of you've got to be careful with in these is to understand what is the mix of those vehicles operating. Yep. There's a hell of a lot more little, well, mud cutters running around in truck and dogs than there are 60-metre superquads running around in northwest WA. That's what I'm trying to get to, Adam. It's an apples and apples comparison, or it's not. Yeah, exactly. You've got to be really careful to correct for those trends. As a general rule, larger combinations have, at worst, similar, but generally better crash frequencies than the smaller combinations. Mm. There's actually some work done by the Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport funded by the NHVR, looking at crash frequency for as-of-right combinations compared to crash frequency for PBS combinations that digs down into these numbers. Mm. And as a headline from that, that I would suggest that a PBS B triple mm. is probably the safest way to move road freight in the world. Probably is, but 
If we drill down into that a little bit deeper, mm-hmm. is it because of the truck and the requirements that there are to have a truck and operate it in that PBS category? Or is it just as much a factor of the guys and girls that end up driving those combinations are the ones that have, generally speaking, got much more experience operating vehicles on the road than, say, the younger guys that are tearing around in the little tray trucks? Yeah, there's definitely a few factors that come into play. Mm. For a start, the sort of transport business that will have the capacity and the inclination to deal with the complexities of getting a novel PBS combination, I mean, essentially excluding PBS truck and dog, up onto the road Mm. means they've got to have a fair bit of thought going into their business. They can't just be doing what they did last week. They've got to be looking for opportunities, innovation. So they're probably, on average, better than the average operator. Mm. Then once you've got some... You go out to a trailer manufacturer, it's probably a local manufacturer doing some innovative work. They're probably among the more expensive manufacturers and they go and build you some novel combination. Maybe there's extra axles, maybe there's other things going on. Yep. You've probably spent a lot of money. So you might have, as you said, your quad, you might have 1.6 million bucks of trailers sitting there. For the most part here, we're talking larger combinations. And if you're a better than average transport business dealing with a couple of million bucks worth of trailers, you're probably looking for some drivers that are amongst your own best drivers where you've got bigger fleets and you've probably got a fair amount of control over who you're hiring. And you're probably also more likely to have middle managers that are hopefully good at what they do. Well, you'd like to think all those things apply, wouldn't you? I mean, it's all generalities. There will be exceptions. I'm sure there's, there's listeners now that are banging their fist on the steering wheel thinking about an exception. But <laughs> look, there's exceptions out there. This is, this is just in general terms. Yeah. I've got similar views around accreditation schemes like TruckSafe, that where there's no direct regulatory benefit, I'd be pretty confident, and I've had a look in my data, that they probably have fewer crashes, again, in general, don't look for the exceptions, than the average operator. That's not necessarily because of the accreditation scheme, but that's the sort of person that signs up for all that administrative pain for no direct commercial benefit is probably a better than average operator. Well, I suppose that there's a conversation to be had around that. Obviously, with the accreditation tends to come a certain amount of education and, Mm -hmm. and probably the willingness to distribute that amongst your drivers. It's also about how you operate a business. I'm, given my background, like to talk about it in terms of risk. But it's about taking a conscious approach to running your business rather than waiting for things to happen and being responsive. So fighting the fire before it starts, you know, mm. having the discussion with your mechanic over does he know what he's doing enough to not put a stainless steel zip tie on a starter motor power <laughs> cable attaching it to a fuel line. Yeah. Probably not using that mechanic in the first place. All of these things come together. Yeah. Any one of your listeners will have a sense of that if they change jobs tomorrow, the business they'd prefer to work for and probably also the one that they'd never work for no matter what. Mm. And it's for me, as an outsider, sharing the best bits of what the smart operators are doing to try and lift up everybody else. Yeah, well, that's a great idea in any business. Just wrap it up, I suppose. We need to probably consider that there are just so many factors that go into the construction of your report and so many things that you need to look at. Mate, where can the listeners go to to see the report and read it in its entirety? It's on our website at nti.com.au, although the easiest thing is to probably search for it by Natasi, N-T-A-R-C for National Truck Accident Research Centre, and that should take you through to the 2022 report. Have a read, have a share. If you've got some questions, jump on the bloody Drivers Advocate page on Facebook or on the On The Road podcast page and throw them out there. I'll certainly find them and answer what I can. Mm. 
And if there's something you'd like to see examined more deeply, same again, jump in there and potentially more so for the 2023 or 2024 report. If there's questions that my data can speak to that I'm not answering, reach out and I'll do what I can. What else is coming up in the future, mate? You're off to do a few more things. We've got the spilt milk investigation coming along. How's that going? Yeah, really well. I've been actually really impressed by the carriers in that space. It's a tough gig. Mm. Sloshing milk on winding roads, picking up at awkward times of the day and part loads everywhere. Mm. But yeah, the operators are doing some really great stuff. and I'm really excited for that project. We should have an initial report on industry best practice early in the new year. The other thing we've just launched that I'm really happy with is our Trucking Basics book. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's not so much for your listeners as it is for your listeners to use on the people they have to interact with, whether it's a consign or whether it's a road manager. It just helps all those what I call transport adjacent people to understand our industry better in really simple terms. And they can find that again on our NTI website. Just search for Trucking Basics NTI and it should take you straight through to it. I've noticed you've been using a few of the quizzes on social media about what is this combination and stuff. And I tell you what, I swear, mate, I had to struggle with one the other day. Is it a BAB or BB? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I encourage you to go find the book. Yeah. Go to page 23. If you've ever had to explain to someone why that wasn't a B double, or you've ever wondered what the difference between an ABB quad and a BAB quad is, <laughs> there's a really great flow chart on page 23 of the book yeah. that goes and breaks down in really simple steps how that A and B naming scheme works for articulated combinations. Well, I think we should just get a print copy or something and send it to every newsroom. <laughs> oh, and I actually would really love to make a little simple version uh, that just says three things. Yep. One, that 80% of the time, or 72% in the 2021 data, yep. but on average, 80% of the time when a truck and a car are involved in a fatal crash, the truck is not at fault. Yep. Two, that bigger trucks are safer, not more dangerous. Yep. And three, what a B-double is. Please stop calling every truck and dog every time there's a crash, a B-double. Or one that came down the southeast freeway descent in Adelaide with a little two-axle rigid towing a pig trailer mm. that was somehow a B-double. Not a B-double. Not a B-double. They're never a B-double. If it is a B-double, then I presume they'll call it a truck and dog just to be safe. Well, that's right. Adam Gibson, NTI superhero. Thanks for joining us, mate. My absolute pleasure, Mike. You have a lovely day. I will too, and I'll uh, see you in the soup. We'll get back to talk about some other things down the track. We've got some great stuff coming up with NTI over the next couple of months. So looking forward to it all, mate. No, me too, Mike. Me too. Thank you. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents, and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page.